Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. You heard that? Let that be a warning to you. Don't mess with Amber. <laughs> Don't mess with her. You, you done good, Mrs. Ray, with that girl. You done really good. Thank you. As I was walking out this morning, you know, we come out from over there, and I walk past here, and I glance at the, the pulpit, and I notice something that's never been here before. And I thought, you know, kids after service love to come up here. You know, and we're a kid-friendly church. Now, we need your help with keeping kids from running in the church. They can run back in the ministry center, okay, that's fine. But in the church, you see kids running around, tell them, stop. But I don't know what it is. My grandkids, when they were little, you know, they just automatically gravitate up here. So I thought, some kid's been up here messing around when I saw this. And I thought, well, I'll just ignore it until I realized what it is. (laughs) You know what it is? The original fly shooter. I'm going hunting. Does it work? Oh, there's one. Wait, there's one. Oh. One on my forehead? <laughs> right here. <laughs> Does it work? Oh. Oh. Miss. Uh. To whoever, thank you so much. Really, you couldn't have gotten me a better toy. That is fabulous. Sharon, when we get home, we're going to open the windows just to get flies in the house. So, anyway. You know, to those of you that are visiting, the the joke is this. Every fall, we have this infestation of flies. I mean, it's horrible. You can see they're flying around here. And hopefully soon they'll go away. They do every year, but for a month or so, it's it's just terrible. And I've, I've... Ask people what we can do and really haven't gotten any uh, ideas that I thought would really work. You know, but I did think about this. Down in Louisiana, and you're, you're going to find out real quick where I'm going with this, and you ain't going to like it, but I'm going to go there anyway. Down in Louisiana, they had a problem with an infestation of nutria in south Louisiana, where Sharon and I are from. You know, and nutria, are, they, they came from South America, and they've infested the, the swamps and, and the, the wetlands of Louisiana, which are controlled by levees, you know, along the, the rivers and the bayous and streams and whatever down there. But these nutria, which are just huge rats, really is what they are. They're, they're swimming rats, okay? And they have multiplied so profusely that they burrow into the levees, and they've been causing all kinds of damage. Now, it's a true story. You can, you can look it up. That's, that's absolutely true. They've multiplied by the millions, and they're doing great harm down there. So down in South Louisiana, they were trying to find a way to control these nutria. How, how can we control them? I know that a lot of guys, when they go fishing down there, they'll bring a twenty-two and they'll just shoot nutria, you know, because they're a pest and people want to get rid of them. But in the state of Louisiana, they came up with this idea. They said, you know, Louisianians will eat anything. And I know how, what some of you think. You know, yeah, if you, if you guys will eat a crawfish, then you'll eat anything. So they started producing Nutria recipes. 
thinking that they would become a delicacy and people would go out and hunt them. And this true story. I'm not making any of this up. Thinking that people would go, oh, well, if you can eat them, then we'll go hunt them. Well, that didn't go over. Even people in Louisiana were smart enough not to go that route. So what does that have to do with the flies? I'll just end it right there, huh, Sharon? Don't, we, won't, we won't even go there. It's good to laugh, especially if you have found yourself or you are on the backside of the desert. It's not a fun place to be. Let's read about it. The backside of the desert. Moses, and we'll give you more of his background in a second, but basically Moses was raised in a palace. And then he found himself in the most unlikely place he could have ever imagined himself. On the backside of a desert, basically a peasant, a shepherd watching sheep. Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock, here it is, this is Moses. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert. Where he was, folks, for 40 years. He was on the backside of the desert. And came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good land, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. And here's the kicker. Come now. Moses never expected. Forty years on the backside of the desert. Thought his life was over. Come now, therefore, this is God speaking to Moses, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Wow. Can you imagine what is going through his mind? Let's pray. Dear Lord, Your word is powerful. 
And the person in this room that is hurting the most may, in fact, be the person that will be helped the most this morning. If we will all but open our hearts and our minds, put other things aside, put excuses aside, put our reasoning aside, our logic aside, if we will open our hearts to your word and the power of it, Lord, we can leave this place in a much better way than in which we came. And Lord, I pray, especially if there's someone here this morning that's never received you as their Savior, thought all this maybe was phony, didn't think it was real, didn't think there was anything to this whole God and Jesus thing, Lord, I pray you'd change their hearts, work on their hearts today, and before they leave this place, they would come to know you as their Savior. Lord, may the power of your word change hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pay attention, please, to the statement on the screen behind me, because this summarizes everything we're looking at today. Most everyone will find themselves at times on the backside of the desert. The backside of the desert can be a lonely and discouraging place in your life. However, handled properly with patience and humility, it can be a very important time of introspection, reflection, and reassessment, preparing and moving your life forward to greater significance and purpose. So this morning, we're talking about the backside of the desert. What is the backside of the desert? The backside of the desert is that unforeseen detour that puts you in an unexpected, unfamiliar, and uncomfortable place in life. It occurs when the path you've chosen to follow in life comes to a halt as a result of unforeseen circumstances calling, therefore, into question all your hopes, all your goals, and all your aspirations. It's when your life takes that unexpected and unanticipated detour. It could be health problems or an injury that prevented you from pursuing the career that you thought you were going to pursue, It could be the lack of funds that prevent you from pursuing that degree in college that you hope to obtain. It could be a very difficult spouse that has caused you not to have the storybook marriage that you thought you were going to have. We can all go through these times in our life. When I prepared this message, I thought very much, and I know Sharon, I haven't even discussed it with her, would say the same thing. Our three years in Chicago was our backside of the desert. Things went from bad to worse there. At one point towards the end, we did not have a house of our own. We were allowed, if you will, to stay in half of a, uh, half of a uh, old farmhouse and sleeping on a, when we came to here to Michigan when we left there. uh, We were sleeping on a mattress, Sharon and I, as grown adults, our children. uh, We were, some of you will remember, the old brown uh, diesel station wagon that uh, we were driving at the time and all the smoke that came out of the back. I could park that rascal in here and get rid of these flies. (laughs) It would asphyxiate every fly in here. It was a tough three years. We were, there's only one way to describe those three years. It was the backside of the desert. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. 
It can often be the result sometimes, this backside of the desert, it can often be the result of decisions that we have made, that we should not have made, that we're not prayed about, that we're not thought through. Just maybe impulsive decisions can put us on the backside of the desert. Our decisions not considering God can put us on the backside of the desert. Or it could be none of those. It could simply be God's divine will, God's divine providence. Not that you did anything wrong. It's just that God knows that this is something that you need and handled properly will be to your benefit and to his honor and glory. It's that place in life where you come to the stark realization that life isn't going like you thought it was going to go or in the way that you thought it was going to go. And it is often uncomfortable. It is often frustrating. It is often even discouraging. Life isn't what you bargained for. This isn't what you signed up for. And this is where Moses finds himself. The Bible's a wonderful book. It, it deals with every aspect of our lives and in the proper and a right way. Moses finds himself now on the backside of the desert. He isn't sleeping in the palace bed anymore that he was doing. He's sleeping on the desert floor. He isn't eating in the palace dining room. He's probably eating under a tree or sitting on a rock. He isn't having a good time with his powerful and wealthy buddies. No, he's out in the desert with a bunch of sheep. Moses finds himself, as so many of us do, in his life on the back side of the desert. And you or someone you care about may find themselves there right now. That's a critical time in our lives. It is a critical time when we find ourselves on the backside of the desert. The backside of the desert can be a stepping stone if you handle it properly. It can be a stepping stone. It can be the best thing that ever happened to you. Or the backside of the desert can be a stumbling block if handled improperly. It can be the worst thing that ever happened to you. And you may feel that you're there right now or someone you love is there right now. It's where Moses found himself, and we can learn from Moses how to handle it. That's why it's so smart of you to be in church this morning. The people that aren't in church this morning, they're not going to get this blessing. Not the blessing of my preaching, but the blessing of God's word. Moses found himself literally on the backside of the desert. John MacArthur said this, quote, Moses worked as a shepherd while living with his father-in-law, a life and occupation quite different from the privilege and prestige associated with his life in Pharaoh's court. So, how did it happen? How did he go from Pharaoh's court, being a privileged young man, to being a shepherd on the backside of the desert? And the shepherd of that day was considered one of the most lowly lives that a person could live. You're at the bottom of the social and economic ladder. How did it happen? Well, most of you know the story. Some of you may not. This same Moses was born a Hebrew slave in Egypt. And at that time, Pharaoh feared the growth of the Hebrew slave population and ordered that all the young males be killed. Now, 
Moses' mother knew about this, and in an effort to save her son, she put him in a floating basket, and he was placed in the river, and by God's divine providence, Pharaoh's daughter came down with her, uh, her uh, entourage, came down to bathe herself, and they found the baby, and this Pharaoh's daughter fell in love with the baby, and Moses' older sister was nearby, and she saw what had happened. She goes to Pharaoh's daughter, and she says, uh, this, this baby needs a nanny, so to speak. And Pharaoh's daughter said, yeah, that, that's a good idea. We do need She says, I, I, I'll get somebody for you. So who does she go get? Moses' mother. Amazing. He had his own mom. He's raised in Pharaoh's court. He has access to Pharaoh's family. He has access through his mom to his own family. Using modern-day terminology, you would think he had won the lottery, that he was set for life. But then, after being raised in Pharaoh's court and sleeping in the palace bed, and eating in the palace dining room, and hanging around his wealthy, you know, uh, royal buddies, he blew it. He blew it in a very bad way. He saw some of his Hebrew brothers, and he knew they were his brothers because his mother had informed them of who he really was. And he knew that his, his, his people were living in this abject poverty, And one day he's out walking around and he sees his Hebrew brothers being mistreated by an Egyptian soldier. And Moses attacked and killed that man. Fearing for his life, he fled. And where did he end up? He ended up on the backside of the desert being a shepherd, tending sheep. And he ended up there, staying there for 40 years. Now, being on the backside of the desert gave him a lot of time to think. And I imagine he's thinking to himself, it doesn't say, this is just my imagination. I can't help but believe that there were times he's trying to get those sheep back where they're supposed to be. He's thinking, man, did I blow it. I had it made. The palace, the power, the prestige. Anything I wanted, snap of my fingers. Like, get, get back over there. Get back. Go. And now, what is he doing? He's tending smelly sheep. He's, he's all alone. He's cooking his own meals. He's sleeping on the ground. No doubt it's cold at night and hot during the day and perhaps wearing those same dirty clothes for who knows how long. Not only is he thinking, do I not have any popularity or power? He says, nobody even knows I'm alive. No doubt he knew that his future was not as it could have been as he thought it would be. He's probably thinking his future now is dead. He blew it. Or did he? Or was he? That's what we have to realize. You may come to the point in time of your life, and if you don't handle it right when you're on the backside of the desert, you may be thinking that it's over with, it's done. You just relegate your life to something meaningless, just ho-hum of of everyday routines that are insignificant and unimportant and doesn't make a difference to anybody. You may come to that conclusion. And Moses, I think, was right at that conclusion. And again, look what happens. 
Here he is on the backside of the desert. Let's revisit those verses 7 through 10. In verse number 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. I imagine Moses is thinking, okay, now what's, what's that got to do with me? You know, you're, you're telling me this, Lord? I know they're under affliction. He said, I'm here in the backside of the desert. He said, I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I imagine Moses thinking, I do too, and boy, did I blow it when I killed that man. I, or I know, you don't have to tell me anything I don't know. It, it's horrible what my people are going through. He says, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good land and a large and to land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I imagine Moses thinking, now you got my attention. You are? You're going you're gonna to rescue the, our people? And I imagine his ears have perked up. He says, we're going to go to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I can't help but think, and this is my own thinking, that Moses is getting excited now. This is great. You know, when is this going to happen? How is it going to happen? Tell me more. Verse number 9, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I, I think Moses by now is thinking, yes, yes, yes. And I have seen their oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for noticing. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. Whoa, 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 whoa. Backside of the desert. Nobody knows I'm alive. I am a shepherd. Lord, you got the wrong man. And in later verses, he all but says that. He argues with God. And him, in him arguing with God and saying, Lord, I'm not your man. You got the wrong man. Was proving that God had exactly the man that he wanted. I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Why now? Because now, after the backside of the desert experience, Moses is ready. After 40 years on the backside of the desert, after spending 40 years on the backside of the desert, God has now got Moses in a position where he can be used. And Moses is going to be used of God to proclaim the plagues in Egypt. He's going to experience the parting of the Red Sea. Moses is now experiencing the burning bush. He's going to experience the the building, the construction of the tabernacle of God, the pillar of uh, smoke by day uh, and fire by night. Moses is going to receive personally the Ten Commandments. He's going to see manna come from heaven. He's going to lead a whole two million people out of slavery into freedom. This guy who took that unexpected detour in his life and spent 40 years on the backside of the desert. Think about it. The truth is the backside of the desert experience can be some of the most important times of our lives. It's the backside of the desert where we can grow, where God can prepare us for something bigger and better and something more meaningful than you could even imagine. It can be a great learning time. It can be a great growing time. If you use it as a stepping stone and not get discouraged and mad at God and it be used as a stumbling block. Think about Moses. God had good reasons for Moses to experience the backside of the desert. There were reasons. Moses didn't know it at the time, just like you may not know it at the time you're going through the desert. Moses didn't know what God was up to, and it's in God's divine will that he will let us know when he wants us to know. 
But he was on the backside of the desert for a reason. Think about this. Moses needed to learn how to be humble. No doubt he was impetuous. Killing the Egyptian soldier on impulse was a bad sign. This is a guy that maybe is hot-headed, maybe out of control, maybe too big for his britches. And the backside of the desert made Moses humble so he would listen to God. I like this quote, the Moses of the Egyptian court contrasts grace greatly with the Moses on the backside of the desert. Before, Moses was confident and assertive. Now he is timid and humble. He no longer believes he is the man to deliver Israel. And he is arguing with God, whereas before, 40 years earlier, he might have said, I'm your man, you know, as long as we do it my way. But having been humbled for 40 years on the backside of the desert, God comes to him and says, I want you to do it. He says, you got the wrong man. But what is he demonstrating there? He's demonstrating a humble and meek spirit. And it may be that you may be on the backside of the desert because you're too proud. Because you've always wanted to do it your way. God has ways of getting Moses' attention. He's got ways of getting our attention as well. But notice this. Something else that God was doing on the backside of the desert there with Moses. Moses, Moses, in a practical sense, needed to learn how to live the desert life. Moses was going to have... Full responsibility for leading over 2 million people through the desert for 40 years. And the experiences that Moses had in the desert for the previous 40 years uniquely qualified him to lead people through the desert. His experiences in the desert uniquely qualified him for leading people through the desert. Just think of the practical aspects. Here's a quote. The stuff he learned in the desert about finding water, sleeping arrangements, wildlife, plant life, you name it, would be invaluable. Moses had no clue he was learning all this, but he was. It could be that there are things that you're having to learn on the backside of the desert that you never would have otherwise. It would have always been your agenda, your plans. Look what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at, you know, the notches I have, uh, you know, on my belt. And Lord knows, no, you just, there's some practical things you need to learn. It might be prayer. It might be Bible study. It might be faithfulness in church. But number three, look, Moses needed to learn how to lead people. Moses was going to need to learn how to lead over two million people. Growing up a wealthy, pampered child wasn't going to cut it. If he had just stayed in the palace, my opinion, he would have never been that kind of leader. He's just a wealthy, pampered individual. He needed to learn how to lead people. So how did he learn that? He learned it by leading sheep. And who does God say people are compared to in the Bible? Sheep. The Lord calls us sheep. Who was it that Moses was learning to lead all those years that he was leading sheep? He was learning to lead people. God compares people to sheep. A couple quotes. He was preparing him to be the kind of person who could deal with the impatience and bellyaching of a newly liberated people. Man, did they bellyache. He was preparing him to be someone who knew what it was like to depend on the work of God and walk deeply with him. And Moses didn't even know it. He was becoming someone in the desert, and he thought he was just herding sheep. So, how do we make this personal? If you're going through a desert experience, or you may go through a desert experience, or someone you care about is going through a desert experience, learn this lesson this morning. You may be going through a desert experience right now. Realize it is time for you to get to know yourself. 
Moses really got to know himself in the desert for who he really was. Sometimes we don't know ourselves as well as we think we do. We tend, to, we tend to end up on two extremes when we think about ourselves. Some people think too highly of themselves, which is inaccurate. And some people tend to think too lowly of themselves at the opposite end of the spectrum, but again, equally inaccurate. We need to have an accurate understanding. For us to be successful in life according to God's will, we need to have an accurate understanding of who we are and what we can and we can't do. To have an accurate understanding of who you are, what you can and you can't do. Not understanding who we are can get us in real trouble. And the desert puts us in a quiet, still place. We've taken a detour. We're not in the city anymore. We're out in the country. The country of our lives. Where it is quiet. And it is still. I'm not pursuing at a breakneck speed the agenda that I had. I am now on God's timetable. Everything is on hold. Everything is waiting. It's not going according to my plans. Now you have the opportunity for self-evaluation. A place for introspection. A place for reflection. Sitting on those rocks, watching those sheep eat, gave Moses a lot of thinking time. Laying down at night, looking up at those stars, not at the palace ceiling, gave Moses a lot of thinking time. And I've got to believe that one of the reasons God puts us in these desolate places is to get away all the clutter and all the busyness of our lives, get us off course where we are looking at ourselves and getting an accurate understanding of who we really are. Because if we get it wrong, if we we think too lowly of ourselves, we're going to miss out. If we think too highly of ourselves, we're going to miss out. Secondly, it's a time and a place for you to get to know God. Often we don't know God as we really should. People can go to church faithfully and still not know God as they should. Devotions, church, become routine, they become mechanical. And we unwittingly begin to live life in the flesh. We don't realize it. We think we're a good Christian. But when you live life that way, you miss the blessings of a real daily walk with God. Think about it. In the desert, there's only you and God. You're not going to be getting to know other people. Moses looking around the whole horizon there. He's on the, not only is he in the desert, but I love the way the Bible puts it. He's on the backside of the desert. Who knows how close the closest person is to him? 10 miles, 20 miles, 50 miles. There's just cactus, rattlesnakes, sand, and God. It's just you and him. Some one-on-one time. And that's where God will put us sometimes in our lives. When we're on the backside of the desert, you just have him to talk to. You look around. It hasn't gone as you thought. You just have him to listen to. This is one time when you can really get to know him. If we come out of the desert with a better relationship with God, our future will be enhanced enormously. Then lastly, number three. As we saw with Moses, it's time to prepare for greater usefulness. One of the great blessings of life is to be used of God to make 
positive differences in people's lives. It's not a great blessing for you to enjoy life to the fullest on your selfish needs and wants and desires. No, the, the, how many people do I know that are unhappy? How many movie stars? How many wealthy people do we know that are miserable? They're, they're drug addicts or alcoholics or whatever. They commit suicide. I mean, it's obvious that all the toys in the world are not going to make you happy. What, what, is, what is important in a person's life is to be used of God. That's a life of significance, particularly to make <coughs> positive differences in people's lives. And only when you know yourself better, and only when you know God better, then are you prepared to make a difference. A desert place isn't a permanent place. It wasn't a permanent place for Moses and doesn't have to be a permanent place for you. A desert place can be a springboard for you just like it was a springboard for Moses because his, his future changed dramatically. When he became humble, when he understood himself better, when he dealt with himself, and when he understood God better, Perhaps you've had a desert experience brought on maybe by bad health. God may use you in the future to be a great help to others facing health issues. Perhaps you've had a desert experience of going through an addiction and you've gotten victory. God can use that desert experience maybe to help other people through their desert experiences. Perhaps you've had a desert experience of failed finances not handling it right. God may use you to be a great help to others that are going through their desert time of failed finances. Moses spent 40 years on the backside of the desert. Get over here. Get those sheep. Getting his staff over there, poking them, looking around. Okay, I guess this is a good place to spend the night. I'll just park it right here. Let me see what I got in my sack for supper. And just the most meager existence just existing. But the backside of the desert changed Moses. He went from being impetuous, I'm going to kill that guy. I'm going to kill him. I am so mad. And just to act impulsively like, he goes from thinking he is somebody to take something like that into his own hands to God coming along and saying, I want to use you. And Moses said, no, 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 no. You got the wrong man. See, God thinks different than we do. I mean, we think that we progress by becoming somebody. No, with the Lord, the way up is down, the way down is up. We progress by realizing our limitations and realizing the greatness of God. We read this statement at the beginning of the message. I want to read it now at the conclusion of the message. Most everyone will find themselves at times on the backside of the desert. The backside of the desert can be a lonely and discouraging place in your life. However, handled properly with patience and humility, it can be a very important time of introspection, reflection, and reassessment, preparing and moving your life forward to a greater significance and purpose. I think I can say, personal testimony, like Moses, the three years we were in Chicago, it got so bad that Sharon and I, all we had was God. And then we realized that's all we needed. Trust him. And what has he done? He has so blessed us. I mean, you, you guys know. I mean, we went from sleeping on an old mattress on the floor 
Because we didn't have anything else. You say the church didn't treat you any better? No. no you, whole different story. It was bad. Squirrels running around in the ceiling and in the side walls. Am I telling it right, Sharon? Am I exaggerating? No. <laughs> she grew to love those squirrels. <laughs> no, she didn't. And now I pinch myself when I look out our dining room window at a beautiful lake and this congregation. God's no respecter of persons. He'll do the same for you. He really will. Beyond your wildest imaginations. It, it, it comes down to how you're going to respond, really. Whether you're going to get it or whether you're going to be a knucklehead or a hardhead. You can use it to be a stepping stone or you can use it to be a stumbling block. This one last quote, we're done. Arthur Pink said, The colleges of this world cannot equip for the divine service. For that we, we must be taught in the school of God. The hand of man cannot mold a vessel formed for the master's use. The one who is to use the vessel can alone prepare it. And that's why sometimes God, because he loves us, will destine us for a time on the backside of the desert. Don't hate it. Don't get frustrated. Don't cuss God. Don't get mad at God. Embrace it and trust God. He will see you through it, perhaps the things you could have never imagined. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's word. If you have any questions about Myo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.